you know, as a designer, you have a huge responsibility of what you are creating. Mm. When you talk about robots, a lot of people watch a lot of sci-fi movies. You know, the future is full of robotics. It's going to happen. But like, how do we, you know, make those technology be the helper for us? It's designer's job. You know, we have to provide a vision. We have to think about how to create a bridge between human and technology. Mm. And how do we design a way that technology is helping us, serving us, is in the background of our regular human behavior. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Chin Lee. VP of Design at Fuse Projects in San Francisco. We sat together at the recent IDC conference in Chicago, organized by IDSA, where she's part of the board of directors. This episode is part of a series where IDSA and Design Drives brings you a selection of speakers, exploring what, how, and why Design Drives is forward. With Chin, I talk about projects and learnings during many years at Fuse Project, the journey coming from China, but also sustainability, women in design, diversity, and more. Enjoy. So I'm here with um, Chin Li, uh, VP of Design of Fuse Project. Uh, you won a couple of awards, right, at the uh, IDSA Gala on uh, Wednesday. Right? Congratulations yeah, on that. Thank you. Maybe to give the, the audience a bit of more, you know, more context about you know, your background and where you're from and how you got into design. Maybe you can share that with the audience. So... My name is Chin, spells Q-I-N, mm. but pronounced C-H-I-N. I'm from China, I'm Chinese. Mm. I studied industrial design in China, undergrad. Mm. Um, also had three years work experience in China. During those times, industrial design in China wasn't, um, you know, wasn't as strong as these days. So to me, it was more interesting to study overboard and to find the true meaning of industrial design. So after I graduated from the university in China, I came to the United States. I studied at Academy of Art University for the MFA study. And during those time, I also worked at Lunar for about mm. a year. Um, after I graduated, I became industrial designer at Fuse Project. Mm-hmm. So and then uh, what time was it? When did you join Fuse Project? What 2004. 2004. So you started as an industrial designer, right? Yeah. And then when did Fuse Project got f- uh, found, uh, founded? Uh, 1999. Yeah. So it was five years old then when you joined. Yeah, when I when I joined Fuse, I think I was the number 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. The team back then was really really small. How many people? Uh, I was number 15 or 16. That's everybody. Yeah. Um, but same as now, um, you know, it's very talented people. I learned so much. I remember when I joined Fuse. You know, Fuse Project actually told me that I want you to grow with the company. Mm-hmm. So to me at that time, I didn't really understand what does that mean, like grow with the company. Um, after a few years, I realized that mm-hmm. you know, that is actually happening. The company is growing. Uh, we have a lot more interesting projects. Myself, yeah, I gained lots of experience. I'm also growing with the company together. So now we are at 100 people. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. We grew from industrial design and strategy to these days we have holistic approach. 
So we have design strategy, industrial design, brand, UX, and we also just built a new discipline, environmental design. Mm-hmm. Um, so the industrial design team at Fuse Project is the biggest discipline. So now we're able to look into each problem holistically, mm-hmm. right? From the physical to digital, provide um, a solution that accommodates an ecosystem. Mm. To me, that's very, very interesting every mm-hmm. time. I grew from an industrial designer, grew so deep into industrial design. Then, you know, with the practice that I Fuse Project, I was also be able to grow horizontally mm-hmm. to see design from different lenses. Mm-hmm. So, How, um, Can you talk a bit more about this environmental practice you guys started? That is more about um, interior, retail space, so it's physical experience in the interior space. Mm-hmm. So we call it environment because we don't want to fix into a certain category. We touch exhibit design as well. Mm-hmm. We did the um, prominent exhibit for the Young Museum in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So it's an exhibit for children to get to know art, to mm-hmm. get to experience different kind of art. So that was a permanent exhibition. That was one of our projects. Mm-hmm. I think I saw this online. It was a lot about you know having um, young people and kids also try out yeah. stuff a lot, right? Yeah. I think there was a little bit of this theme there, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, how big is the UX UI team, actually? Tenish. Tenish, yeah. yeah. So still smaller than the... Smaller than, I smaller assume than there's ID. a lot of requests on that side as well, so I was wondering if it has overtook the ID team. A lot of our clients come to Fuse Project for the physical design, yeah. but we do see, you know, with the technology these days, you, know, you have to connect physical to digital. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of projects, we have really more than one discipline to work on. It's actually kind of rare now with a project with only one discipline. The reason why the client came to Fuse Project is we are able to solve their problem from many different angles. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the team is growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of your your favorite projects you got to work on? I actually have a lot. As you know, um, I my earlier years I, I did a lot of uh, job on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was bearing one. Yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that that actually that taught me a lot. Um, working on the cell chair for Herman Miller was a very, very um, deep experience as an industrial designer. Herman Miller has a very high standard of ergonomic. Mm-hmm. And think about, you know, like there's no reason to have a new chair if that's a better chair. Mm-hmm. So we have to come into uh, an angle to think about what is a better chair. Mm-hmm. And they have that material that they have been using for underneath sofa, creating more, you know, like more comfort, but reduce material. So you don't need to put that many foams. Mm-hmm. And at that time was the idea, like, is there any way to use new materials? Nobody have ever used that. And that was a challenge, like, okay, what is characteristic? What's the best way to use the material? From there, we have to look in each detail of the chair to hit the high standard from a Mueller. You know, how do you shape the form? We figure out, you know, by using the points to pull the material together, then you can create this form that can support the body for eight hours, mm-hmm. for like 12, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And look at every angle, the so detail, the armrest, the knob, the seat. If you flip the chair upside down, it still looks beautiful because we did touch every detail of the chair. And we also worked really, really deeply with the engineers at Herman Miller. And that was a very successful model when designers work very 
collaborate with engineers, we can solve problems together. So that you know, that was a really you know really good experience to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get so deep into the design process from the concept to the production, mm-hmm. and it was three years of process, mm-hmm. and that was a remarkable experience mm-hmm. and still one of my favorite projects. Mm-hmm. Well, lately, have you heard of Snoo? Mm-hmm. We also won some uh, awards last year at IDEA, and SNU is a completely different way of approach. It came from a big idea. Mm-hmm. Dr. Harvey Karp came to us, and he has this vision of how to solve these issues, like newborn babies, new parents try to get the baby to sleep. Mm-hmm. A lot of time, they don't sleep. Mm-hmm. They cry. You don't know why. He wrote a book, The Happiest Baby, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of parents like, also learn from his books, but you know, how do you do that? He has his um, practice, like you have to swaddle the baby, you have to shake the baby, you also need to provide the, the sound, like shh, sound like a white noise. Because mm-hmm. when um, the baby inside the womb is really tight mm-hmm. and mother always walk around and, you know, you talk, there's a natural vibrations inside. And it's also, there's a noise always. Mm-hmm. So after baby was born, if you get them a really quiet space, it's not the environment that they get used to. So his theory is how do you continue that environment from inside the womb to outside mm-hmm. to provide that comfort. So to do that, we have to use machines, machine learning. We have to put a lot of sensors inside this area. So the solution is a baby bassinet. And this bassinet has sensors built in, has motors, has artificial intelligence, and it can react to baby when they cry, when they shake. Mm-hmm. It can react automatically. The motor will start to shake, mm-hmm. and then there's white noise generated. And based on the movement and based on the cry, the sound of the baby, it can provide different stage of interaction, mm-hmm. and it's all automatically. And we also designed that swaddle. Mm-hmm. It's meant to continue to provide this comfort mm-hmm. uh, to, to baby. You have to put the baby in and you have to attach a swaddle to the bassinet mm-hmm. to enable this, um, this movement. So that's for safety concern. And that makes it become the most safest bassinet in mm-hmm. the world. Because uh, for some of the infants, when they started to roll around, they could roll to sleep on their face. Yeah. That's another issue. Yeah. So these bassinets not just solving the you know the sleeping issues, not just solving for baby, also helping parents to sleep better, but it's also the, the safest bassinet. So that is what I explained in the beginning, like this is not just purely industrial design. Mm-hmm. Right, so this involved digital experience, physical experience and psychology, mm-hmm. the emotion side. The design is really simple because we don't want to show any machine outside. Mm-hmm. It's emotional connection with the parents. You know, you're putting baby to bed. This is very emotional experience. You don't want to see a tons of metals and machines surrounding it. And everything should happen behind the scenes rather than lights blinking. There's a sound telling you, activating. So we have to hide everything. You know, we also need to use the right type of material to create this breathability for the mm-hmm. bassinet, also provide the transparency so the parents sit on this side of the room, you can still see what's going on, um, you know, with the with the baby inside the bassinet. Mm-hmm. We also uh, help to create the name, Snoo. Mm-hmm. 
we decide the logo, we decide the app as well. So we really look into a solution holistically. The project lasts for five years. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very long. Yeah, very long. Is it because of the, the user testing that it took so long? Or? Because this is a new category. We start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Nobody has done such kind of thing. Mm-hmm. From, the idea, right? from the idea to the production, mm-hmm. it took very long. Of course, including lots of user testing. There are two rounds of design as well. And to miniaturize the business, hide all the components mm-hmm. underneath the bed, mm-hmm. but not making the bed look so big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's between a, a furniture and a baby product, right? It's, it's somewhere in uh, It's also, I mean, it's kind of like a robot too. Yeah. Uh, so it's like at the edge of all different categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get some feedback from, from people who are using the product yet? Yeah. yeah, so many feedback, and you can also see that, you know, Instagram, social media, mm-hmm. and a lots of people really say this is like life saving mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, and I guess that feels great as a designer. Feels working really on good, and it makes it worth to spend so much effort on this project. Yeah, I mean, and also I guess to the the whole topic of like the impact of design or what designers can drive forward I uh, assume this is a great example right yeah um, it's not just uh, um, the thing that you know uh, the design that you know got created but also what it then meant for people and how it maybe um, what kind of effect it had right like I said it's huge designer is the creator mm-hmm. of things that's why you know as a designer you have a huge responsibility of what you are creating mm-hmm. when you talk about robots a lot of people watch a lot of sci-fi movies the future is full of robotics it's going to happen but like how do we make those technology be the helper for us mm-hmm. it's designer's job we have to provide a vision we have to create a bridge between human and technology mm-hmm. and how do we design a way that technology is helping us, serving us, is in the background of our regular human behavior because everybody still wants to live in your human life rather than have a robot sitting here interrupting you. You want to have your natural human life. Mm-hmm. And so it's a designer's job to help to hide it, how to blend it into your life, make it invisible, intuitive, make it natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also a great example for like the whole topic of humanizing technology. If you if you were speaking about a robot, right? But like this thing doesn't look like a robot at all, right? No. Um, so uh, it looks like a, a furniture, right? And, yeah. Um, so you know, I think it's also a great example of like you know humanizing technology or like taking maybe quite advanced technology but you know, putting it into a package and an experience that um, you know doesn't feel like artificial or inter- like interacting with an artificial robot, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that's I mean that's another I think responsibility of designers moving forward as you know these technologies progress. Um, I would I would like to talk a little bit about um, your role at IDSA as well. Um, you chair at um, IDSA. Chair right? at the board of IDSA. Mm-hmm. I see that as supporter for mm-hmm. IDSA. Mm-hmm. We are supporting IDSA and IDSA is supporting the members. So I think that's the key role for us, mm-hmm. help IDSA to serve our members mm-hmm. better. When I was in China um, during those times, the best way to learn design is really to look at the design magazine because internet at that time was kind of spotty. Mm. Um, and one of the design magazine was Innovation. 
Mm-hmm. So I learned yeah. so much, you know, by just reading the Innovation Magazine. Mm-hmm. And Innovation Magazine is from IDSA. Mm-hmm. So when you're a member, you have the magazine. During those times, when I was in China, not even in the United States, that was my best way of learning industrial design. And after I grew into a senior role, I feel like this is um, you know, important for me to support IDSA as mm-hmm. a payback. It helped me to grow when I was in China. So that was um, one of the reasons. Also, I joined the board about three years ago. At first, I was uh, a large director for awards. And my first mission is to look into the IDA brand, the trophy as well. Mm-hmm. Not sure yeah, if, yeah, not sure if sure. you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... so um, it's really great. Yeah. So I team up with Fuse Project to redesign the branding for IDEA, to redesign the trophy as well. So that was my first mission on the board. During those times, I also look into the experience for IDEA as well and improvement for IDEA. Um, so this year, I'm the chair... I think the focus is to continue the future vision from the past year. We want to be able to grow with our community, mm-hmm. bring value to the community. Mm-hmm. Some of the changes that Chris is making is you know, having more local chapter events, mm-hmm. deep dive conference. So this year we have the Women in Design mm-hmm. in San Francisco. We sold out very quickly. And we have not just women, but also a lot of men mm-hmm. <laughs> join the conference as well. Mm-hmm. And that was really successful. And it's also very nice to meet a lot of women in design mm-hmm. in the industry. Later, we have the medical conference and you have the IDC. We focus on to create the value, the content that related to our members. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about like, as a student, how do you get to know industrial design? And that's open gate for you. But when you grow into senior position, the growth path is also important. So how can IDSA to support, to provide this mentorship, to provide this opportunity for you to continue to learn mm-hmm. beyond your own work, learn mm-hmm. from others. Mm-hmm. So the core of the, become a core you know, in your professional life. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that you're also very passionate about, we spoke about that earlier also, about uh, diversity and uh, inclusion in design, as you mentioned, women and design as a, one of the efforts right, of IDSA. Can you share a little bit about your perspectives uh, on that topic? You know, we talk about that a lot. I think you have heard about women in design, women in industrial design, women in tech space. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to teach at two different schools in the past. One is Academy of Arts University, Another one, CCA, they're mm-hmm. both in San Francisco. At the class, I saw actually lots of female students. Mm-hmm. It's about 50-50. Mm-hmm. And, but in the professional world, as industrial designers, you don't see that many. Mm-hmm. That means after graduating, some of them might not continue to be industrial designers. So I think that's a question. You know, I was talking with different people at the conference as well, educators. Like, what's the reason? Why did that happen? Um, we don't have a clear answer for that, but we see that to enable the 50-50 diversity is a great benefit because you, you know, when you approach the project, you want diverse point of view mm-hmm. to, you know, to the solutions. And at Fuse Project, you know, we have about 15 different nationalities. Mm-hmm. So it's great to you know, have different kind of culture, look at the lens. Um, but it's also good to have balanced gender to look mm-hmm. at the problem solving. So after a lot of conversation, I think to 
provide that diversity is you know is really it's also a design process mm. and it's come from the beginning how do mm. you expose industrial design mm. to different different students i think industrial design as a term it sounds very technical so <laughs> for me also um you know, I was originally focused on art for many years. I went to fine art high school in China. During the four years of study, yeah. I, I paid more attention to graphic design because it's kind of natural extension from physical creating the visual mm -hmm. to the digital. After I graduated, the school I really want to go in China, they have no enrollment for graphic design. Yeah. So that was the opportunity for me to open up my mind to look at what other design I can do. Mm -hmm. And industrial design as a term, it sounds very technical at first, yeah. but after I talk to people, oh, it's actually very interesting. And, you know, you get to create these interesting objects. You, you can make things become much more meaningful. And the biggest thing mm. is art mm. is for individuals. Mm. But industrial design, you design for majority of people. Mm -hmm. So that deep meaning became a motivation. You know, I really want to create something that can help improve life. Mm -hmm. So the bigger meaning of industrial design was a driving factor for me. And I think that should be a better way to introduce this to the younger generation, yeah. to welcome them into this discipline. And from the education side, there should be a way to empower the female design perspective. I met a student a few years ago. She showed me her work. Uh, one of the work that was designing for outdoor gears, I asked her, why is the outdoor gears look so masculine? She mm. was like, well, that's what they look like. Or the client briefing. Right? Or the client briefing. Mm. And I told her, well, you can look yeah, into yeah. this problem from the female perspective. I'm not saying design just for female. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying to design a product that can be both appealing to male and female, can be both to be used by male and female. So that is also the influence, what kind of resource, what kind of um, mentorship you can provide to the female designers so that they know it's mm. okay for them, it's safe for them to provide their point of view yeah. and continue to enrich, to cultivate them, to grow, to do any different kind of design, mm. not just feminine, not just baby products. Yeah. So I think that's uh, to help to hit the goal of gender balance yeah, in the industry here. Mm -hmm. Are you mentioning already quite a bit on like what could we do? I was wondering a little bit on like also like you know how, what could we do in terms of achieving that 50-50 what you see in school also in, in design leadership, right? I don't know if you, do you have more insights to share on that? Or you know, I kind of touched a little bit how yeah. to support the female designers, provide mentorship yeah. to help them to get the openness to provide their own perspective. Yeah. I think this needs to continue to, as a design leader, I see it as a benefit. Um, actually, in this industry, there's not so many female design leaders. Um, so I'm really respect to people like Micah. Um, she was also the jury chair, yeah. 2019 IDEA. I worked with her at, at Nuna mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. so, so I learned so much from her as well. Mm -hmm. um, if in your career, if you have um, people that you can look up to. I think yeah, that's another thing you know, I, I also see a lot is that you know, role models is a yeah. big topic, right? So uh, it needs female role models also. Uh, or, I mean, I think there are uh, quite a lot now also. Um, 
and I think you know uh, this could also drive change. I think uh, because obviously this inspires people, right? Yeah. Obviously, this influencing people's decision also in their career, right? Yeah. Um, you have someone to learn from. Yeah. You have someone to talk to if you, yeah. if you have questions. Yeah. And you have someone to give you opportunity to to you know to grow. Yeah. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe uh, one more topic I would like to talk about is the, the impact of design, maybe more of a zoomed out perspective. There's been a lot of talk about, you, know, you probably have seen the McKinsey study um, about uh, the value of design, um, you know, Joe Maeda, and uh, there's been a lot of talks about uh, that design becomes more and more important. Um, I mean, you've been at Fuse Project now, you know, quite a while, and you maybe experience also how clients approach you guys may be different than maybe when you were starting out. Um, can you maybe give a little bit on your perspective on that rise of the importance of design and maybe from your own personal perspective? I think, um, you know, we kind of touch a little bit of technology, how yeah. we can use technology to yeah. solve problems and what's our perspective of using technology, mm. right? Because we don't want technology to overwhelm. Mm. So that was... I think it's designer's responsibility how to you know utilize technology to create a bridge, but not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think that's you know we we'll touch a little bit about that. I think another thing is huge also is sustainability. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had the chance to listen to founder of Cradle to Cradle William McDonald's talk, and it was really inspiring. He said designer is a creator of uh, good and bad, means you know whatever you design. It could end up to be a garbage, mm. or it could end up to be something that doesn't create any harm to yeah. environment. So this topic is huge, and I think this is a huge responsibility for us as well. How do we provide this influence, not just from the design side? Also, we have to educate our clients. Mm. To clients, often they focus on the product, the features, mm. the market, the users. Sustainability is all the way in the end of the line. Mm. So for us, we have to raise this topic to talk about why it's important and to educate our client to build that into the practice, build that into one of the foundational requirements of the design. And to the manufacturer also, how do we get the materials, You know, how do we have those materials to be able to use? So we have to push the supply chain, push the manufacturer, the vendor, to innovate on materials, to refine their process, to create a much greener process to produce the product that we design. So this is like a huge landscape. And design for sustainability is very, very difficult at the moment. It's very difficult to, to get those materials in the mass production scales. Also very difficult to push the vendors to do certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, zero omission product to be recyclable, uh, disassemblable, and that is a huge effort. I think it should come from the designer side. Mm-hmm. We are the one that to push for that. Yeah. Do you have any? I mean, you've uh, you've had you did a lot of projects around that. So I wonder, uh, do you have any learnings on how designers can propose these things? You know, and uh, to make that kind of impact. Um, any any learning from you too in terms of like um, sales pitch, right? Uh, how to you know convince all the stakeholders this is the right way to go. I think to introduce that concept early, mm-hmm. 
to talk to them how is that going to relate to the brand as well because yeah. from the client's standpoint you know what's the value of doing that so we can introduce that as one of the message coming from your brand this is something that you want to stand up to speak about for your product for your service mm-hmm. and obviously not everyone can absorb that concept right away and we have to continue to provide solutions for example introduce materials to talk about by using this material how many processes you can cut off or you reduce time money and that is another good element to put on the table right mm. the reduction of energy it's also create benefit to the business and we also need to bring them along to educate okay the reason we decided like that because we want to enable to use sustainable material we, we want to be able to cut off layers of painting process so the product can be recycled when you bring them along mm-hmm. they feel like they're involved they feel like they're part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's another way to do that, and not just products, also packaging. Introduce that concept also early. The material that we're using, and reduce the parts inside the box. Keep it single material so that you can compose or you can recycle in the same bin. So these are the things that we have to push from a concept and then from a product to the ecosystem, from the product to packaging, from product to accessories. And then from the design to manufacture, sometimes the engineers is from the client side, so we have to bring them along as well. They have to actually create more effort to make it work. But mm. you know, it's very important to bring them along and then continue to push for production. So mm. I think that's a lot of work right there. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to create another garbage. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think designers also have the you know unique capability to in that regard to. Um, with a vision or with a, you know, a concept, you know, connect the dots or uh, take a theoretical discussion that's maybe happening around sustainability and put it into something, you know, prototype it, visualize it, you know, make it tangible and give texture to the idea and then have you know, people talk about based on that, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously this sparks already inspiration or what is possible. And uh, could drive motivation also for all the yeah, stakeholders. Yeah, exactly. We need to have a successful case study mm. to show to the world, to you know, show to the next client, this is the right approach. We have done that. We know how to do it. Let's do it again with you. Mm. And I think that is good models mm. to, to push for. Mm. Uh, maybe as a last question, what would be your advice to you know, young industrial design students or people who want to go into industry design from your perspective? I think the biggest thing is um, keep your passion. I think everyone get into the space has their own reason and just keep in mind what's your passion, what's the drive and keep going. Always remember your dream. What's your dream from mm-hmm. the beginning and believe into it. Continue to work on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe one more question that you know, just pops in my mind because you were mentioning um, China earlier. Um, have you been back to China actually in yeah. recent recent years? Yes. Uh, maybe for projects and so on. I, I guess both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think um, you know you've you, you left China a long time ago, but also I think you know the industrial design scene in in China has really you know picked up, and um, I think it's much more mature now. Do you have any perspectives on in that regard? Maybe I assume it was very different when you were starting out in in China, right? And now you worked in the U.S. for a very long time. If you look, if you reflect back on how that country uh, and the design industry that changed, yeah, it's changed so much. When I was in China, um, 
in the you know beginning of my career, industrial designer was considered as art worker. Mm. They have a term to call it art worker. So client will purchase something from overseas and bring it to you, put it on the table, say, oh, I like this toaster. I bought it from uh, the United States. I just want my toaster to look like this. So that was no design. But I think in the past few years, China grew so fast, not just from the design, also from technology. Robotic and AI also grew so fast in China. Mm. And quickly, you also see the changes, like how the value of design is significantly different these days. Mm. And people willing to invest into design rather than just, oh, just, you know, just give me a look. And they were willing to spend time to work on the technology, work on the, the user experience to push the design. And in the past, it was lots of copies. Mm-hmm. You, you can see these days. I think the designers also realize that they are the one to push for to the client say, copy is not how you build a brand. Mm. You need to build a brand from innovation. So I think the change is happening very huge. And also the design communities also continue to push for that. Mm-hmm. And we saw some... Um, at the um, IDSA gala, right? The, yeah. We just you know, pointed out there have been a lot of successful designs yeah. also from China. Right? There's also lots of visitors come from China mm-hmm. every year. They are coming to learn from Western country. Mm-hmm. So it's right. a good sign. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all these insights. Very inspiring. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.